Mr. Gorbachev. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Today I say at The wall that President Reagan was talking about was a symbol. In World War II, enemies, nations around the world united against a common threat. When that war was over, they all wanted a piece of Germany, geographical Germany, the land of Germany. Reality set in that these nations were ideologically different. They didn't think the same way. They didn't manage their governments at all the same way. But instead of coming to a common agreement, they just physically divided up Germany. They put claim to certain geographical areas of the country. And in the years following the war, there were people trying to defect from the communist portion of Germany. Rather than see a problem with their way of doing government, the communist government decided to build a wall in 1961. That was the wall that President Reagan was standing in front of. The individuals from the communist part of Germany were not allowed to cross that wall. And over the years, a number of individuals were killed trying to cross that wall. President Reagan gave the speech, which you just saw some excerpts from, in June of 1987. In 1989, the communist government finally allowed the residents of communist Germany to cross that wall. They let them have freedom. They let them go. As those individuals, more and more of them gained their freedom, they started to physically tear that wall down with their bare hands, with chisels and hammers, and took pieces of that wall. Until finally, in 1992, machinery finally cleared what was left of that wall. That physical wall was torn down. Did it have something to do with Ronald Reagan's speech? Some say it did, some say it didn't. But the reality is that wall came down. And yeah, there's still division between communist governments in this world and democratic governments. But things have changed. And no, there's not peace in the world. But that wall, that Berlin wall was torn down and steps were made. That wall symbolized an obstacle Peace. Today, that's what we want to talk about, is obstacles to peace in our lives. What keeps us from knowing true peace? Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity, God. I thank you for the gift that you give us, the availability of peace, Lord. Guide us this morning as we seek to understand what that peace is, what the obstacles to that peace are and what the solution to attaining peace is, Father. We praise you and we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
In the text that was already read this morning, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Paul is speaking to two separate groups, speaking of two separate groups of people. He was speaking of the Jews and the Gentiles. He mentions who has made us both one. He's talking about the combination of these two groups of people, the groups of the Jews and the Gentiles. Well, what was separating these two groups? The scripture says, Paul's letter says, the dividing wall of hostility. What was the theoretical, the, I guess, the picture of the foundation of this wall? Paul goes on to say, the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. What's he talking about? What is he referring to? Well, basically, he's talking about the ceremonial law that the Jews had observed for hundreds of years, to the point of where many of them, including the leaders of the Jewish church, were putting their faith. And not only were the leaders putting their faith in it, they were finding their power in it. We're talking about the feasts, the sacrifices that they made for their sins, the offerings that they made at the temple, the laws of cleanliness and purification that they were required to follow under the Jewish faith. You see, these ceremonial things were the greatest barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles of Paul's time. Now, God's moral, those laws, those ceremonial laws, they were abolished. Christ came to fulfill those laws. He, took, he was the final sacrifice. We're cleansed by His righteousness. In the Christian walk, these ceremonial things were fulfilled. And that's what the Jews the Christians, the Gentiles, the, the Christian Gentiles were disagreeing on. Now, this didn't abolish God's moral law. Only the things that were expressed in ordinances in the Old Testament law. Because God's moral law reflects His very holy nature. And for that reason, it can't change because God doesn't change. That is the law which, for the Jews was summarized in the Ten Commandments. This moral law was summarized in the Ten Ten Commandments. And this moral law is written on all of our hearts when we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's still commanded of us today, not to save us, but to to, to testify to our faithfulness to the one who created us, to the one who loves us. You see, the Jews and the Gentiles were fighting over these ordinances. Were they or were they not supposed to observe them? And it was a major problem for Paul himself and his ministry. Because Paul's ministry was specifically to the Gentiles. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to who? The circumcised. And he refers to them as the circumcised because that was one of the ceremonial laws. Peter ministered to the Jews and they were by the covenant to be circumcised. But then Paul goes on to say, this same God worked also through me, through my ministry to who? The Gentiles. In Acts chapter 15, and we looked at this a little bit when we went through the book of Galatians last year, but in Acts chapter 15, 
We see an account where Paul went up to Jerusalem because there were some men teaching that in order to be a Christian, in order to be saved, you had to be what? Circumcised. You had to follow the ceremonial law. Well, when Paul approached the council, Peter stood up for him and said, no, this, this has been fulfilled. You don't have to follow this. You don't have to teach this. But then as we were studying Galatians, we, we remember from Galatians chapter 2, Paul had to call Peter out, didn't he? Because what happened? Peter came down to Galatia. And this was, according to the timeline, probably after the meeting in Jerusalem. But Peter came down to where Paul was. And he was allowing them to live in freedom and not to observe the ceremonial laws until, guess what? Somebody showed up from the other side of the camp. And Peter started following the ceremonial laws when they were there. I guess what you would say, what we would call... He was talking out of both sides of his mouth. And Paul didn't let, him, didn't let him rest in that. Paul called him out on it. And I mentioned this when we went through the Galatians, but it still amazes me to think of Paul, his boldness, and rightfully so. But this man who Christ had said was his rock, who he was going to build his church, one of the three closest apostles to Jesus, and Paul stands up to him and says, you're wrong. You're two-faced. And it's not right. But that's what Paul did. You see, these ordinances, the Jewish ordinances, the ceremonial ordinances, these were walls that the Jewish people were holding on to and holding up, and it was standing between them and the Gentiles. It was standing in the way of their relationships. And these were basically differences in the two groups. What are some walls that we face today? One big one, sadly, that has come up in the news lately is race. You see all of these incidents across the country where it it seems like they're pitting whites against blacks. You have some horrible instances where black individuals have been murdered. Black individuals have been killed in confrontations with police. And the race issue has been escalating. And it's a very real thing. It does exist. Sadly, the discrepancy, the division between different colors of skin still exists. It's still hard for me to imagine that people still differentiate individuals by the color of their skin. But it happens. It really happens. We have division because of gender. We have... One gender who is demanding their rights, equality. We have some people who claim that they're a different gender than what they were born to be. We're a very confused world. And all of these different camps, whatever camp you choose, it's not even just male or female anymore. They're rising up against each other and they're trying to get their point across. Social status divides us. Are you rich? Are you poor? What bloodline were you born into? White collar versus blue collar. Do you have a manual labor job or do you have an office job? Sadly, these things all, we draw lines with them. And we group up in these different social statuses. Maybe the career you choose. 
It may be the school you choose, Barrie, North Davis, Washington, private school, homeschool, whatever it is. Sadly, in our flesh, we can group up in, 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 in this area even and draw lines and say, oh, those are the Vikings, those are the Cougars, whatever you want to do. And all they do is serve to divide us. And maybe our education level, oh, you only went to the eighth grade, oh, you know, he, have a, he has a high school diploma, oh, he went to college, oh, he has a doctor, he's a doctor. So we can draw groups that, in that way and we can, we can draw lines and divisions. Maybe it's religion. Oh, he's a, he's a Baptist. He's a Mennonite. He's a Methodist. And we pigeonhole people. I want to ask you this morning, when someone walks through the doors of this building, what is our goal? Are we trying to make a Mennonite out of them? Are we trying to introduce them to the changing power of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? My goal is to introduce them to Christ. I'm not trying to make Mennonites out of anybody. These, what I'm getting at is all of these different areas can be walls. And they serve only, only to divide us. You say, but Kevin, these ceremonial laws that Paul's talking about, they could be abolished. They could just say, well, they don't exist anymore. We can do away with them. And you may be right. But how willing are we to let go of things that we hold dear, tradition, whatever it may be? They're not just tradition. Often they're a part of us. We've accepted them as part of who we are. And is that wrong in itself? No, it's not. So why are we trying to change everybody else? Why can't we just accept each other for where Christ has put us? You see, these differences, whether they be any of these things we listed, or whether you're Jew or you're Gentile, these are, they're our uniqueness. Because we are all unique. We're all special. We're all different in our own way because of where Christ has ordained us to be. But what happens is we elevate these differences to a place where God never intended them to be. We elevate them to the point of being a dividing wall. And see, this happens from both sides. Sometimes it's reality. Sometimes, as we talked about in race, there are people who are bigots, there are people who are prejudiced. It's reality. We treat people differently because of the color of their skin. We treat people differently because of the school they attend. We treat people differently because of the education level they have attained. It's wrong, but in our flesh we do it. Sometimes it's perceived. Sometimes we put ourselves in the pigeonhole. We perceive that someone's treating us differently because of something we do or something we don't do that they do. And the person we're accusing may be completely innocent. So it can be reality and it can be perception that puts these walls up. And sometimes we're just looking for someone or something to blame for what we see is wrong in our lives. It may not be reality. It may not even be something we perceive. It's something we're coming up with to justify something we're doing. But what happens when these differences are elevated, 
Peace is sacrifice. We can't have peace when we elevate our differences to this level. These differences, again, using the term, they become walls. Well, peace is the objective. Peace is the goal. But what is peace? What does peace really mean? As I looked up that word, the root word that is translated peace in the scripture this morning, in the Strong's, the basic definition was to join. And I looked at that and I was like, what does that mean? To join? That's not the way I would define peace. But as I looked into it farther, it's to be united, to be in unity. Think about it. When the most peace comes is when we are at rest and we are unified. We have to be unified in something. It means to be like-minded. But Kevin, you just talked about our differences. Yeah, I did. But being like-minded isn't making everybody the same. It's not cloning one person and making everybody look the same. That's not being unified. That's not being like-minded. It's having a common goal. Think of marriage, a successful marriage is a union. Successful mar- in a successful marriage, two people are joined together. That doesn't mean they're the same. You've often heard it said that opposites attract. But it means they have a common goal. And they're working together and not against each other to attain that goal. You say, well, that's what I want. I want peace. I want rest. I want to be unified with everyone around me. I want to be at peace. But if we were honest with ourselves, what we're seeking is not peace. We don't want to be unified with everybody. We want everybody to agree with us. Because that would make things a whole lot simpler, wouldn't it? But what we forget is that our opinions, every one of us, our opinions are stained with sin. They are corrupted by sin. We don't see it so much in the United States, but occasionally we do have a shortage of this or a shortage of that. And around the world, there's a shortage of a lot of things. There's food, water, housing. But there's one thing we don't have a shortage of anywhere in this world, and that's opinions. There are plenty of opinions to go around. It depends on how tightly we hold on to and how hard we push our opinions to how big a walls we put up. Sin is the cause of all conflict and all division. Sin is responsible for building the walls in our hearts. That's what those walls are built of, is sin. That's the building blocks of those walls, is sin. And it's also, sin is also the enemy of all peace and all harmony. You see, built into wickedness is the impossibility of peace. Peace won't come when wickedness is allowed to flourish. Sin is basically selfishness. And selfishness is basically divisive, and disruptive. Yeah, but the world would be at peace if they would just all agree with me. Because I've got it all figured out. And none of us are foolish enough to make that statement. But how many times does it cross our mind? 
You see, we can't always have what we want, can we? Because if we always got what we wanted, there would be no way to avoid infringing on or trampling on somebody else's wants or needs. We can't always have our own way without interfering with someone else's way. You say, but I don't always want my way. I'd settle for half the time. That's just it. It can't be about us. Remember from James, we just went through James, three very important verses, the beginning of chapter 4, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask. Do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Peace comes only when self dies. I want to challenge you with something this morning. It's something that happened right here this morning. It was Alex was up here this morning and he was praying. His mic was cutting in and out. You guys noticed it, didn't you? When my video started this morning... All the sound was coming out of the monitors up here, and you couldn't hear it very good until they got it through the house speakers. Technical problems, right? Now, this is a rhetorical question. Don't answer it. I don't want you to incriminate yourselves. But as that was going on, what were you thinking? Were you praying and saying, God, help this work out? Or were you sitting there thinking, these technical issues, I wish they would just figure these things out. These are frustrating. These are annoying. Rhetorical question. Don't raise your hands. (laughs) But God uses circumstances like that to bump up against our walls. So we have walls of selfishness like we want everything to be perfect. We want to be able to hear. We want to know what's going on. We want to look good to visitors, don't we? Guess what? That's bumping up against our walls of sin. It doesn't feel very good, does it? So what do you do when your walls get bumped up against? How do you respond? Selfishness? Is it pride? Is it anger? What is it? Is it compassion? How do you respond when your walls get bumped up against? How do you get there? How do you die to yourself? Well, the only place the self really can die is at the foot of the cross. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That is the point of complete release. That is the point of laying yourself down and surrendering, complete surrenderment to Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in who? The Son of God. That baby that was born over 2,000 years ago. That's who we need to live our life for. He did that because He loved me and He gave Himself for me. He gave Himself for each of you. You see, that's the solution. 
to surrender ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. When we make it about Christ, it's no longer about us. We build walls by refusing to compromise. You say, but Kevin, I've heard that compromise is bad. Hear me this morning. You don't compromise on truth. You don't compromise things that are contrary to the nature of God. Sin is sin, and we need to call sin, sin. And we need to love each other enough to call uh, each other out on our sin. What we compromise on is personal preference. What color should we paint the walls in the sanctuary? Where should we go out to eat? Where should we go on vacation? How much time should we spend on our hobbies? Those are the things we compromise on. And we seek to process through in an unselfish manner. Not make it about what we want. We can express our thoughts, but we don't need to hold so tightly to them. Well, Kevin, what about the gray areas that Paul talks about in Romans 14? They're not preferences, but it's just interpretation. We have to process those things with prayer and biblical decision-making. Again, it's not about us. It's seeking God. And ultimately, even in those gray areas, we have to make a decision. But we have to let go. And even if the wrong decision in our eyes has been reached, we have to have the ability through Christ to let go of it and understand that God is sovereign and He is in control. We don't have to fix it. God just wants us to trust Him. Jesus didn't die so that we could go on being divided. He died so that we could have peace. He died so that we could be ushered into heaven by His righteousness. He died so that we could function as a body of believers together. So that we could stand united in Him. Not in ourselves. The walls come down when we look to Christ and to Christ alone. See, if we keep looking at the walls, if we keep just looking at the problems, the walls are going to get bigger. We spend hours and hours trying to reach compromises, don't we? What we're doing, we just keep talking about the problem. We must be looking to Christ. When we bump up against each other's walls, if we're all looking back to Christ, looking back to the standard, the only standard that matters, these walls are going to come down and these problems are going to take care of themselves. Christ is going to take care of these problems, whatever they may be. When we truly, truly look to Christ, it reveals our sin. It exposes the building blocks of our walls we have the ability to tear those walls down. Ronald Reagan used the word liberalization in his speech. When I first heard that word, it's like, what did it have to do? Conservative, liberal? That's not what it meant. That word, it was actually used a lot by Mikhail Gorbachev, the leader of the Soviet Union. 
And he was saying that they were seeking liberalization. What he meant was they were seeking full disclosure within his government because that was one of the traits of the communist government. Everything was so secretive. You see, what we need is liberalization, liberalization in our lives. We need to be open books. Not for the purpose of embarrassing each other, but for the purpose of exposing the blocks that build up the walls that we have in our hearts. These blocks of sin that build these walls. When our sin is revealed, the walls come down. I don't know if you guys, and sadly, I think there's a lot of video games anymore. Too many. That's a discussion for another time. But I don't know how many of you kids have ever built a house out of playing cards. I used to love to do this. I could do it, I could do it by feel. You could just put the cards together and you'd build one layer. And then on top of that, you'd build another layer. And you get it all built and you'd sit a little bit and just one little puff of wind. And the whole thing came down. You see, we're building up these walls and we felt kind of comfortable behind these walls. But inevitably, these walls of sin are going to crack. And they're going to fall just like those houses of cards. And when those walls come down, we're still different. We're still unique. But suddenly, when we're looking to Christ as our standard, it doesn't matter anymore. We embrace each other's uniqueness. We delight in each other's uniqueness. And we see the value of our uniqueness working together for one common cause. We're willing to lay down our wants For the wants and needs of other people. Christ was not born so that we could be right. So that everyone would know that we're right. He was born so that we might be saved. He was born so that we could live in peace with each other. Ronald Reagan called that wall that was behind him a scar of a wall. We have a lot of scars in our hearts. We have a lot of scars of walls that we have built in our hearts out of our sin. Some of those scars are understandable. We have hurts that are legitimate hurts. This world is a cruel world. Some of those scars are perceived, the things we've made up in our minds. But these walls, walls of any kind in our hearts that are built out of sin, do not cannot and will not bring peace. To paraphrase President Reagan, child of God, tear down these walls. Stop justifying your sin. Stop looking for people who sin like you and grouping up with them and hanging out with them and mocking those who don't agree with you, who don't sin like you do. Stop trying to force people to agree with you. Take them to the cross. Call sin, sin. Surrender your lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see what happens as we go through life and we're hanging on to our walls, we keep bumping into everybody else's walls, don't we? And it gets pretty irritating, doesn't it? They try to call out our sin. They they point out our walls. And it hurts. But we want things our way. We want things our way and we can't figure out why our marriage is in such turmoil. If she would just agree with me, things would be a whole lot better. We demand things our way and we can't figure out why our children are brats. 
They're just imitating what they see. We demand that people see things our way. And we can't figure out why we have ugly church divisions. We hold on to our sin. And we can't figure out why we have no peace in our hearts. We want everything fixed, but we don't want to change anything. We don't want to let go of any of our sin and the perceived pleasure that comes with it. What walls have you built in your heart? What walls can you identify as sin? What are they costing you? Not only in the lack of peace, but in the suffering that you have taken on yourself because you refuse to let go of your sin. You refuse to face where you have come up well short of living a life that imitates the life of Christ. You want to hang on to your sin because you kind of enjoy it. You want to hang on to your sin because you're selfish. What does it cost you? What does it cost your loved ones? I plead with you this morning, take it to the cross. It seems kind of daunting. You say, Kevin, I've got walls in my heart that you have no idea that are there. You have no idea how ugly, how scarred they are. I don't, but Christ does, and he's bigger than every one of them. And he wants to help you tear down those walls. He wants to tear them down for you. He just wants you to surrender to him. Embrace him. Make him the Lord of your life. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, God. We thank 